So we sponsored an event today um, where we brought in a local CPA to go through some of the tax um, implications for religious organizations, and it was really well received. They all wanted a podcast on it so they could send it out to some of their uh, people in their networks. So today we're bringing you an interesting topic that's just going to go through what the tax implications are for religious organizations. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Day is one that really centers around nonprofit organizations and specifically religious organizations and how the new tax code affects them. We've brought in a local CPA who gave a speech today at a lunch and learn we put on over at our local church, Building 28, down in Countryside, for some local pastors that uh, had some questions on how their income. Uh, should be set out and how they should do their taxes and how the charitable gifts that they get should be classified. So we brought in Greg Smith to uh, give us his expertise on this and George, my dad, is also here. So this is for the over 60 community. First time podcasters here. These two guys are going to go through it and hopefully it works out well. (laughs) Right, but we're we're hoping younger pastors benefit from this as well. All right, go ahead. So let's, let's start out with hybrid income. Um, We're going to talk about how pastors get paid uh, as an employee and then also uh, as self-employed and how that affects their taxes. Thanks, Thanks, Peter. Uh, Hybrid income, uh, basically uh, what that means is the IRS typically treats individuals in their businesses as either being an employee relationship, an employee-employee relationship, or self-employed. And it's very unique in the... uh, in the church and ministerial fields that they're actually treated as both. They perform work and services for the church for which they're compensated by way of uh, regular W-2 wages and they also do other services that are not paid for by the church which may include weddings, funerals, uh, writing books, uh, uh, counseling and so forth that uh, they're self-employed actually in those other areas so they they call that a hybrid uh, uh, taxing relationship there. Greg, how does that affect the tax calculations, whether it's labeled in, uh, an employee or labeled a self-employed? Does that also, by self-employed, it also is independent contractors. Kind of the same thing, isn't it? That'd be, that's a good definition of self-employed. Be someone that's independent and not engaged in an employer-employee relationship. Now, the income that they receive from the church, they actually receive a W-2 form. Uh, just like anybody that works for uh, another company. It's different in some respects, though, because the church is not required to withhold income tax or FICA and Medicare. So they get the W-2 that only states the income that they, uh, the church has paid them for salaries and fees for the services rendered. So basically the, the services rendered to the church is what they get paid as a W-2, and what they do outside basically themselves personally, whether it's a wedding, funeral, counseling, whatever, that's a 1099, you're saying, because they're just getting paid directly by the, the person that they're performing the service for? That's right. If they get paid from someone other than the church for those special outside services, then they're, they're deemed to be, as George said, independent contractors or self-employed individuals. So not only in that case, the big difference is that both subject to income tax, both the W-2 wages from the church and the self-employment income. Uh, However, the income from self-employment, they can deduct certain expenses against that. And it's the net 
of the self-employment income after expenses that is subject to income tax. But in addition to that, it's also subject to self-employment tax. So when we're talking about income for pastors, a lot of pastors get what are called love offerings. Can you explain a little bit about what love offerings are and how they are taxed? Okay, love offerings, uh, gifts gifts are, are non-taxable basically by the IRS, by their definition. However, uh, a love offering, which many pastors get or receive from the church, if it comes through the church, it's taxed to them just like their W-2 wages. Uh, to exclude that, to make it part of their self-employment income, well, it wouldn't be part of their self-employment income if it was not if it was come stumbling. No, that's okay. Let's go through two different scenarios. So the first scenario is uh, a pastor comes to my church, a visiting pastor who's planting a church. He gives this speech. Our pastor gets up and says, um, let's send him off with a gift. Our church puts a gift in the offering and they send it with that pastor. Is that taxable? Yes, that is taxable. And the church, your church, because he's a visiting pastor, not an employee of your church, if the amounts they pay him during the course of the entire year exceed $600, then the church is required to send a Form 1099 of miscellaneous income to that pastor. Okay, and let's build a different situation. So let's say um, after church one day, somebody comes up to my pastor, gives him $100, just says, I've been thinking about you, I love you, I want to make sure you know, you're happy and whatever, and gives him $100. Is that taxed? No, it's not. If the gift is made directly from an individual to the pastor, totally out of love and affection, with no expectation of receiving anything in return, then that gift, like any other gift, is non-taxable to the pastor. Non-deductible to the person making the gift. But Greg, isn't it true, though, that the IRS has taken the position that a lot of these love and affection gifts are, in fact, income, and and they've won some cases. Uh, There's a case, uh, Godwin, where the pastor and his wife received love offerings on their birthdays, on their anniversaries, on Valentine's Day, and these were strictly love offerings. No one asked for uh, anything in return. Uh, The IRS went to court, and they were taxed because they were income, because people expected that this kind of thing would continue as the future employment, and this is kind of a benefit to that pastor for future employment. Because that would happen every year with these people, right? Right, and, and so they, you know, they were taxed on that. Even though they didn't pay taxes, the IRS went to court, got a decision, they had to pay all their back taxes. Right, if, the t- if they were paid through a collection by the church that was deemed to be for the purpose of being a love offering, then the church is going to include that in their W-2 wages. That would not be qualified as a love and affection gift. That person would actually be looking, those persons would be looking for something in return, which would be the retention in the services of the pastor. Well, that's the way it is in the funerals, too. You give a love offering at a funeral, but really you're paying that pastor to do the funeral. It's like and, a tip. And, and, and that's why, and, yeah, and that's why they're considered an independent contractor, and they have to pay taxes on that. That is correct. Okay, let's move on to a big one that a lot of pastors might not know enough about. Um, and that is how they can classify their housing expenses or housing allowance. Okay, well, that's probably one of the biggest benefits that a pastor has. They can have the church designate, specifically designate, part of their compensation to be for housing and living expenses. Uh, To the extent that they are used for housing, 
and uh, that they don't exceed, these, this, this uh, payment does not exceed the fair rental value of their home, um, and they actually spend it for that purpose, then that income to them is non-taxable. It escapes both. So basically they can get, let's say their mortgage is $1,000 a month. They can get $1,000 a month in, in housing allowance and then $1,000 a month in pay, and they only get taxed on the $1,000, and the other gets to them free and clear. That is correct, except that the, hel- the housing allowance is subject to the self-employment tax. Okay, which is 15%. Which is approximately 15%. Okay. Uh, Greg, isn't it important, too, when it's designated as a housing allowance? Yes, sure is, George. It's got to be designated as a housing allowance in advance of the payments. Uh, It's something that should be noted in the corporate uh, uh, documents of the church organization or in minutes of the church or in the, uh, the pastor's uh, compensation plan. And what that means is basically they can't go back at the end of the year and, and designate $10,000 as a housing allowance. That is correct, yeah. Okay. There's also a distinction, Greg, draw it between whether you own a home or you rent the home or there's a parsonage. Yes, the church could own the home. And even if the church owns the home and is allowing you to use it for your own personal, personal use, and that would include utilities as well, uh, it's at a fair rental value, uh, it's excluded from their income as a parsonage allowance. Uh, if they own the home, then and they're actually paid a, parson- a parsonage allowance, then they can use that for uh, the actual total mortgage payment on the house, the real estate taxes, the insurance, and so forth. But it cannot exceed the fair rental value of the house or the actual amounts paid in order to qualify as a parsonage allowance. So if you pay more in a mortgage and interest than the rental value, you can still get the mortgage and interest amount? No, the, uh, the amount that is allowable to be excluded as a home office, a, home office, a, uh, a mortgage, a parsonage allowance would be the lesser of the amounts that you actually pay to keep the home or the fair rental value or the amount specifically designated to be a parsonage allowance. So your answer is if if somebody pays $750 in mortgage and interest but the fair rental value is only $500, they can only get $500 as a housing allowance. That's true. But in addition to that, utilities. Right. And you can also get, I think you said in the speech today, that you can get um, reimbursed for like a lawnmower if you mow your own lawn and things like that as well. Uh, part of it is not just the rental value of the house, but it'd be the rental value of the furnishings. So it would be everything that you use in that regard. And uh, maintaining the home, uh, whether it be maintenance and repair, improvements. Okay. So there are creative ways you can do it that are set out for religious organizations, specifically for nonprofits, for pastors and clergy. And this is one of the benefits of that. This is one of the biggest benefits for the pastors. Okay. Um, let's move on next to expense reimbursements, which is another uh, major category for um, these nonprofit organizations and religious organizations. Okay, that is a big one because of the new tax law. In the past, historically, pastors may have some expenses that are not reimbursed for, and they took a deduction on, on a form 2106 with the IRS, which was an itemized deduction on their tax return. But when the new tax law comes out in 2018 through 2024, that deduction will no longer be available. 
because that's part of miscellaneous itemized deductions and that's been eliminated. Let me, let me ask you a question though about deductions. You talked about you know, this, this reimbursement for their housing for let's say their interest in their mortgage payment. What about the interest deduction that people can take on their taxes? Can they still take an interest deduction and get the reimbursement or can they just do one or the other? That's the you can have your cake and eat it too thing. They, even though they're being compensated tax-free for their home or parsonage, they can still, when filing their tax return, take an income tax deduction for both their interest paid and the real estate taxes. What responsibilities now lie on the church in order for the pastor to benefit from these expense reimbursements? Well, with the new law, the fact that the uh, pastor can no longer take a unreimbursed business expense deduction on his tax return, it would behoove the church to pay the expense, reimburse the, tax, the, the pastor, so that it's not includable in his income. Well, and one of the keys, again, just like before when we were talking, the church has to do this in advance. In other words, there has to be some policy that the church has for reimbursement or for the housing allowance. That's true, except that the reimbursements for expenses would not have to be uh, set up in advance as to the, the amounts, uh, where the housing allowance needs to be set up predetermined in advance, say at the beginning of the year, before the beginning of the year, in specific designated amounts, whether it be dollar amount or percentage of income. Expense reimbursements just need to be authorized. Well, they need to be a policy. Doesn't it need to be a policy in the church saying we will reimburse expenses? Right. That would be, the policy would be that they, they authorize upon the pastor providing them uh, the information for which they're reimbursing. Now that's, that's real important because the IRS wants you to use what they call an accountable plan, which means in order for that to escape taxes for the pastor, he must provide the detail of what the expenses were. It's got to be related to his job as, as a pastor of the church, and then uh, if there's any excess amounts that are paid out, then uh, he's required to pay it back to the church. What happens if the pastor has uh, this self-employed income and they have the employee income and they have reimbursable expenses? How is that parsed out and how do, how do we uh, reflect that on his tax return? Wow. Well, if he's going to have taxes from his salary. He's going to have taxes from his business, if you will, his, I mean, his uh, self-employment income. And he needs to take and uh, take the reimbursements at the church level so that they are just tax-free. They're not brought, they're not part of that. When he also, when he's getting his deductions for uh, expenses, they, they have to be allocated between the tax-exempt income and the taxable income. So only a portion of those expenses would be deductible. All right, and as we move on to kind of our last point from the, the speech today, let's talk a little bit about the tax plan changes, uh, the new tax code, how that's going to affect donations and, and churches and other uh, nonprofit organizations. Okay, I would think that the biggest effect of that, uh, Peter, is 
that the standard deduction for so many people that do not itemize, and even for those that have over the years, the standard deduction for a married couple filing jointly historically has been right around 12000 just a little over that recently. It's now going in 2018 from 12000 plus to 24000 For single persons, it's going from 6000 to twelve. Head of household is going to 18000 so what the effect of that is, because they're not itemizing deductions any longer, they're no longer going to get any benefit tax-wise for contributions that they make to any charity. So now what's going to happen is, is churches are going to have a reduction in their contributions. And other charitable organizations. All of them. Because if they give $500, people used to give $500, get the deduction, they'd be happy, they'd contribute money, and they'd get a deduction. And they'd be more likely to contribute to nonprofits. Yeah, but now they get 24000 whether they give the money to the church or not. So, hey, I think they're going to uh, find that there's going to be a real downswing in the amount of money churches are going to get and nonprofits are going to get because of this. There's sure going to be some. If the person's motivation is to save taxes as opposed to giving, then they're going to lose some of that. And they're in real reality, there are people that that's the reason that they give is to, to save on the deductions. Um, so before we finish out, I do want to ask both of you guys, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen in the past or biggest mistakes you think that pastors and churches make when dealing with their tax exemption status or how they can use the tax code to their advantage? Are we talking about the love offering at this time? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, <laughs> that seems like one of the main ones. Yeah, there, yeah there's, there's two huge ones, I think. The love offering and the housing. Okay, so how do they misuse the love offering or misunderstand it, and how can that become a problem? Well, most people think that a love offering is a gift, and gifts by a tax law are not taxable. However, if a love offering is given to a, a pastor from the church, if it's from the, the people in the church by the direction of the church. For example, if you were a visiting pastor and uh, you came and, the, and your church pastor asked you to uh, fill out an envelope and let's bless them with an offering, that's going to be taxable income to him. Uh, right, but where the problem lies is where some of these pastors go to different churches, they get these love offerings and they consider them gifts and then they don't claim them on their taxes and then the IRS can come get back taxes on those numbers. That would be a big problem. Yeah. And then what's the other one you said, Dad? And the other one is the housing issue, where they forget they that not only, not only can they get money from, right. from a housing allowance from the church, but they can also deduct that interest from their tax returns. So they get a tax-free benefit on one end, and they get a tax reduction on the other end, and they just forget about it or they don't know about it. So the real thing is, which is interesting, is two of the biggest mistakes are on one side, they're taking too much of an advantage of something in the tax code for uh, religious organizations. And then on the other, an other end, they're not taking advantage enough of something that's in the tax code to give them that benefit. Um, so that's all we have today. Hope everybody enjoyed it. As always, if you ever have a topic you want to hear, just let us know and uh, we'll do a podcast on it. Hit us up on social media at Trago Salaw. Uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. <laughs>